Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khan Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Welcome to Ordinary Moments, Create Extraordinary Results. This is the real and imperfect routines and systems that build schools of excellence. In today's episode, I'm talking to Sarah Schreiner. Sarah's been on our podcast before with a series that we did on stories of resilience. And if you're interested in checking out that series, we interviewed uh, several school leaders and how they navigated the COVID pandemic. So Sarah is a returning guest. She's the owner of Sunshine Academy in Montana. And today's conversation is really inspiring and deeply moving for me personally. Sarah has a very unique upbringing from most entrepreneurs and owners that I've connected with in this field. She was raised by a stay-at-home mom, and she shares so much of how her upbringing really catapulted many of the decisions that she made in her career early on and how she continues to navigate her leadership as she steps into her newest role in shifting from being a manager to being a leader. In today's conversation, we talk about the destruction phase before she let go of everything. And she speaks about some of the things that she micromanaged before she was really ready to relinquish control. We talk about the narrative and the myths that she believed around working, you know, over 40 hours a week and really dive into the phases of grief and questions that she needed to reflect on as she stepped out of the day-to-day operations. The biggest takeaway for me from this conversation was a quote that Sarah shared is her transition from valuing all that she can do to treasuring all that her team creates. I absolutely love that. I wrote it on a post-it. I hung it up in my office. This conversation is for the leader who wants to remove themselves from the day-to-day who wants to step into truly being a visionary and wants the real, the raw, and the messy of some of the steps that Sarah took to get there. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah Schreiner. So today in the episode of Ordinary Moments, Create Extraordinary Results, I have here with me Sarah Schreiner. And I've been blessed to know Sarah for quite some time now, a little bit just right before pre-pandemic world um, in like January of 2020, December of 2019 kind of thing. And over the course of our relationship and working together, you've really had a very slow but powerful evolution into the leader that you are today. And I want to really dedicate this episode into the routines, the systems, and the rhythms that you've gone through and that you're consistently going through to 
not necessarily about getting to where you are today or that there's any specific summit, but the moments that consistently bring you joy, help you find purpose and meaning in your life. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I want to get started with when you started Sunshine Academy, what were some of those big vision or kind of big audacious goals that you had for the company? Well, we're going all the way back to 2004, and I was um, very young. I was only 20 years old at the time and just had this drive to dream big. My my dad was always definitely my biggest advocate for there really wasn't anything I couldn't accomplish. And so it was welcome to dream big. And I can remember I had worked in or the building that I currently own and had told him at one point in time, I could do this. I could definitely run this place. And his first response was, well, tell the owner you would be interested in purchasing the facility. At which point I thought, why not? You know, I mean, my dad says I can do it. Why not? Had no idea about the cost or anything. And so I called up the owner and she said, that's so funny. I've listed our facility today. And so I just knew it was a God thing. And in my mind, I thought, I had seen a lot of ways that early childhood had been done wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was so blessed with an amazing stay-at-home mom that truly made our childhood just, I mean, it it was amazing. And there, it was, everything about it was fun and exciting and joyful. And I thought there's no reason that every child can't have that opportunity, whether it's their parents get to stay home with them, whether they get to go to a high quality learning facility. And so in my mind, I think my big dream was just to create a similar experience for children, very similar to what I had went through as a child myself, because it was such a magical and treasured time in my life. I think this is so fascinating how You grew up with a stay-at-home mom who kind of almost anticipated every one of your needs and took care of you and made sure that you were loved and seen and heard and validated. And it's not that you chose this path of, well, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to do the same thing for my kids. I think this is really impactful on what it means to take what you received what you were raised with, but then make your own path and choose your own journey um, and choose what makes sense for you. So I, I would actually love to unpack this just a little bit more of why did you choose the path of purchasing a center, of becoming an owner, when you have some of the fondest memories of being raised by someone who wasn't working, who didn't have that level of responsibility and pressure in their life? I think one of the skills that both of my parents really instilled in me was strong independence and Mm -hmm. making sure that I was able to be true to myself and my wants and my needs. And so there, I don't ever remember there being a time that I didn't want to go do something big. I didn't know what it was, but I don't know that I ever remember a time or feeling like there was only one way to get something done. And so it was more about learning the, the bigger lesson behind the experience and being able to replicate those versus doing the same exact thing over and over and over again. I was definitely raised, although my, I had a stay-at-home mom, my dad ran an oil exploration company. So we traveled all over the United States. By the time I was in kindergarten, I had lived in every state on the west side of the Mississippi except Alaska and Hawaii. I was in six different kindergartens and so very non-traditional upbringing, except for there were things that, um, like I said, I had the hardworking dad, the stay-at-home mom, all of those. And so from a young age, I was taught that it doesn't have to be one way. There doesn't have to be a cookie cutter approach. It's okay to decide what works best for you and your family and your dreams and your goals. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) When you went into purchasing this location, right? You're 20 years old, 21 years old. You're really young. Your brain isn't fully developed yet. You're not married. You're, you know, you're kind of in this almost like jumping without kind of safety net or any sort of thought for the repercussions or consequences of your actions. And 
that serves us up to a certain point, and I'm sure it served you very well um, to get the business up and running, to kind of really just go for it. When did this mindset of go, 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 go slowly start to deteriorate and slowly start to where you started to question, maybe this isn't serving me anymore? Definitely when I had my daughter, that was a very natural transition because it was no longer about how much I could push through. There was all of a sudden this other human (laughs) that was depending on me that I also wanted to be able to show up for having been raised in such an amazing household. That is a strong value for me. And I wanted to be able to be present and you can't be present for everybody all the time. And so all of a sudden I was faced with this new, new dynamic that I was having to navigate. And I think that was really the beginning of my journey. However, I'm not sure that I fully embraced the mindset that I'm at now until, honest to goodness, it was when the pandemic hit and I personally experienced a very significant season of loss in my family and all of a sudden priorities just changed and my understanding of my own abilities and needs and wants also changed. The theme of our episode is the shift from manager to CEO. And I think there's there's so many podcasts and books about the difference between managers and leaders. And you have so many varying opinions of like, we need good managers and we also need good leaders. And I would love to hear from you as a childcare owner, as someone who's a parent, as someone who's been in this industry for a long time, how do you really define the difference between the manager and the CEO? I think that for a long time, I didn't realize there was a difference. And I thought the manager was the person or the CEO in turn was the person that was just present all the time. That was what defined you being present for your team, being able to give them suggestions, ideas, being able to help them solve problems, building, you know, continuous relationships with every single person that you ever had any kind of interaction with, with your business. And then one of the blessings of the pandemic was all of a sudden we were forced to start shifting our mindset. We couldn't all be present because if we were all present, there was a potential that that could pose some sort of risk to others involved. And I can remember sitting down with our director and saying, we need to have an admin that's offsite at all times so that if something happens, if there's an outbreak or whatnot, we still have someone available to run the day-to-day things and be able to show up for our people. And so it was decided that I would move off-site. Now, I never had any idea that that was going to impact me the way that it has. Uh, but what it did was it shifted my mindset from the CEO doesn't have to be present. The CEO needs to be the one that is the guiding vision for the company, that is the one that gives themselves permission to look five years ahead and to dream and to start facilitating the hopes and dreams, not just of themselves, but of their team as well. And so I went from this small little world of solving day-to-day problems to this bigger, more expansive form of being where all of a sudden I could dream bigger because I was no longer just relying on my own abilities. So this is where I know a lot of people are listening and they're like, oh, that would be so nice, Sarah, but you don't understand. Like, I have to do this and this needs to happen. And I have this problem in my center and we have this fire burning. And well, a couple of things for everyone who's listening. One is there is no school that is devoid of problems, struggles, obstacles or challenges to live, to be human, is to have roadblocks and challenges. That's that's part of one of our purposes and how we bring meaning into this world is we have challenges that are presented to us and how do we respond to it? How do we find meaning in those moments, right? So the first step is the recognition of eliminating stress and eliminating problems is never the goal. It's Well, let me invite you to share, like, how did you make that transition of, well, I'm not going to have a stress-free life. I'm not going to have no problems in my life. What do I want instead? What is kind of the goal that you're pursuing? I think the goal for me was to create something that was more 
oh goodness, the word maybe autonomous, where all of a sudden it wasn't, I I was no longer the bottleneck because that's Mm -hmm. what happened. Everybody would come to me and would want advice, input, feedback, and there was one of me. And so if I didn't get it done that day, it didn't get, you know, it might have to go to the next day. And all of a sudden I was the bottleneck for things getting solved. I had to check my pride a little bit because the truth of it is it feels really good to be needed. It feels good to have people seek you out for your opinion and your thoughts and your advice. And there were many situations that I ran into that all of a sudden I realized I'm not the only one that has this answer and I'm robbing my team of their growth or their ability to maybe think outside the box. So we circle back to how I was raised. There's not any one way, right, to solve a problem. And I wasn't necessarily allowing my team to fulfill those values or to uphold those as well. Before we dig into some of the practices that you do consistently or, you know, some of those routines. For those of you that are listening, one of the things that I do before I interview any podcast guests is I always give a little bit of insight into what do I want to talk about? What's my intention for this show? Like, what do I really want people to walk away with? And particularly when I interview clients, I know that they want time to process through and be able to bring their own thoughts and just have the time to sit in those questions. And I think this is such a great segue into some of the myths of slowing down, right? Because in order for us to create this great episode, both of us need to slow down. I need to slow down to say, what's my intention? Now I need to articulate that to you. You need to slow down and journal your thoughts, then come back to me. And then we have this conversation. So I think in the notes that you wrote in some of the journal prompts, you wrote some of these myths and I just, I really love them. So let's dive into some of them. One of the myths that I think especially being a young business owner going in, it was very easy to just assume this was the truth, but it was the myth that I need to make everybody happy. If my business is not successful, unless everybody's happy. And what that really led to was this avoidance of conflict in the business. And that goes back to the whole bottleneck where there were times that really um, I needed to deal with situations but I didn't really want to because I wanted to make everybody happy. Or maybe I didn't deal with the situations the way that I should have because I wanted to make everybody happy. The other myth that I think really for me has been the most impactful is I really thought that people wanted quick solutions, that I was an effective leader if I was able to give quick, speedy, fast solutions. What I've learned, and especially as I've grown in my ability to pause and allow myself time to process situations is that people just want to be heard. It's not always about me giving them the solution. It's just about them being heard and giving them the space to help find their own solution. We can spend 45 minutes just talking about this one concept, but I I do want to dedicate a couple more minutes to this because I see this as a huge deterrent to massive expansive growth, both in the leader and in the team, because of this myth that many people perceive as absolute truth and facts. And so how, and I know there's never one thing, right? Because growth isn't a linear process, right? There's so many different variables that come into this. And then it feels like a light switch where you're like, oh, people don't want me to fix their problems. They want to be heard, right? So what were some of the maybe light bulb moments that started to come up for you when you realized people don't want me to fix things fast. They want me to listen and slow down. Well, I think it was when all of my fixing ideas or (laughs) solutions would just piss people off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There you go again, Sarah. Look at me and they would say, what? You want me to do what? And then it would be, can you believe Sarah would ask me to do this or suggest this? It's not like she's been in the classroom. And so all of a sudden, um, my solutions really weren't as good as I thought they were in my own head. And not only that, it gave people an out. So there wasn't any personal responsibility because it wasn't their idea. It was Sarah's idea. So if it doesn't work, no sweat off my back. It wasn't like it there. 
I don't have any, you know, anything invested in it. And so I think there was this frustration because I had these great ideas and grand ideas and I was providing quick solutions, which is what I thought people wanted. And there was still a level of frustration amongst my team that, so what I was doing was not working and there had to be some sort of shift within myself and a change because um, I was doing the same thing over and over and getting the same exact results. And so, I mean, just like you coaches continuously, change has to begin with you. And so I started doing a lot of reflection and a lot of practice on just intentionally listening to people and keeping my mouth shut. (laughs) That was really hard. But as I practiced that more and more and more, what I found was I would sit there and I would nod and I would listen. And all of a sudden, before the conversation was over, they had come up with their own solution and I really wasn't needed. And those were the conversations that weren't coming back to me three days a week later saying, well, great, this idea didn't work. Now what? You know. So there was a very, I think, a natural progression, but also a lot of self-reflection that went into that process. So I got a couple questions for you here. Curious, take a step back, listen here. Do you have a nice culture or do you have a kind culture? You see, in a nice culture is where there's people pleasing, you're being agreeable. In a kind culture, you come from a place of generosity and benevolence. In a kind culture, people glo- in a nice culture, people gloss over people's concerns with superficial words. In a kind culture, people take meaningful action to support other people in the way that they need it most. This is probably the most prevalent in our industry. In a nice culture, people are concerned about hurting other people's feelings. While in a kind culture, people are committed to speaking with respect and doing what is best for the team as a whole and the organization. In a nice culture, people are very focused on other people's opinions and being liked. In a kind culture, people are focused about being supportive and aligned with the mission, vision, and values. And lastly, in a nice culture, there's non-existent boundaries and we act from expectation of others. In a kind culture, we show up from a place of empathy and accountability with strong and healthy boundaries. Building a kind culture is what is needed in this post-COVID world. Building a kind environment where staff don't have a zero-sum game, but they show up with generosity for other people is how you're going to build higher retention and incredible opportunity for everyone to contribute, to step up, to up-level, and find joy, meaning, and purpose in their work. And so if you're looking to build that type of organization in 2022, then I encourage you to check out the Summit of Excellence. The link is in the show notes. Come join us in person in Florida, March 1st and 2nd. We're capping at 100 people. Come be part of the incredible experience. Click the link in the show notes for more information. When I first started this, I thought I was the only person in the world suffering through this. And uh, it was such a unique situation, I thought. But then when I got in this community, I thought, oh my gosh, everybody's going through the exact same thing. And they're a great sounding board. They're so supportive. Get prepared to make so many friends. Everyone here is so kind and welcoming. They all want to help each other and work through all the struggles that come along with this career because God knows there's so many. Some of what she says is so basic, but the way she's able to present it to you and the way she simplifies it down to make it usable for anybody, you know, it's it's priceless. This is a very large group that cares about every single one of us, knows our story, knows what brought us to her, knows our struggles. I'm just in awe of how she does what she does. How did you work on fighting the urge to go faster? When when you're sitting quietly and you're pausing, it's not there's magical switch that at the end of the first conversation, your team became smart in five seconds and now they have all the answers. There's such a long process in really creating this space where the team can step up. And in that is the pause, is the time to process, is to slow down. 
And we're fighting against a lot when we want to slow down. It's not just fighting against our own urge. The world is running and, and faster and faster and faster. And so you're really fighting against so much. How, what, share with us what your practices are to slow down. Well, I think the what had the biggest impact on me was removing myself from that environment on a regular basis. And it really took something for me that was that drastic to begin practicing it because being there in the moment, it, it feels overwhelming. It feels like you need to, if you're not doing something, then you're, you know, you're doing absolutely nothing at all, which isn't always the case. And so it took me removing myself from the situation. And all of a sudden, what I was finding is, huh, I came back and they told me about these problems that happened. And then they told me about the solutions that they tried and it all worked itself out. And in the past, those would have been situations I 100% would have been involved with and I didn't need to be. And so there was, I would like to say, oh, this was an easy transition. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Love. Love that. No, um, it was painful because all of a sudden I went from being of this place that I felt high need and value in one dynamic. And I, I had to grieve that I had moved out of that role. And all of a sudden I was transitioning into something else. And well, if they don't need me for this anymore, where does my team need me? Where does my business need me? And that was, it was the hard journey to walk through and to allow myself permission to move forward because it would have been really easy to say, gosh, okay, I want to be needed. It feels good to be needed. I'm just going to swoop back in and jump into all of those habits. And by surrounding myself with other CEOs, other owners of different businesses, I, I think that was a great push to keep walking through this process. and almost reinventing what does my role look like in this company? Where do I want it to be? And how do I move forward while I'm still grieving that people don't need me like I thought they did? Before we talk about grief, I want to talk about what happens in the battle of the mind a little bit. Because as this void, nature abhors a vacuum. And so as we create this vacuum, we unintentionally try to fill the void with something and everyone has a different kind of kryptonite or different thing that they're seeking. And so I'm curious if you can share with us, what were some of the things you started to focus your attention on as you let, because what happens is you're not needed here. So then you compensate somewhere else until you work through the grieving process. And then you in a healing and healthy way, begin to enter a new phase. But I think most people don't walk through it healthily right away. I think there's a little bit of destruction first before before we go up here. I'm curious what that was for you. And destruction doesn't have to be massive destruction. I'm just curious if you can share some insight into that. At first, my first response was, I was probably annoying to my director because I would call and check in and create different narratives like, okay, I heard about the situation and, you know, checking in and doing those, um, a little bit of micromanaging. And then it moved into having to battle the narrative in my brain that I've always worked 40 hours a week. And now I'm not working 40 hours a week. And am I letting my team down? Am I doing less? Am I less worthy because I'm not working my full 40 hours a week because all of a sudden I'm not needed. And so I filled it with all kinds of crazy things. I read books for fun, just fiction books. I baked like crazy, which wasn't exactly a benefit for my waistline, but I got to try all new recipes and do all kinds of things. Um, and although... I don't know if it was so much destructive or it was for the first time in a long time, I was starting to fill my own bucket mm. when I had spent so much time filling other people's buckets. And after our family experienced about 18 months of just intense hardship, especially emotional struggles. And 
it was almost like I, I imagine what Alice in Wonderland was like when she opened that first door and she walked mm-hmm. into this new land. There was this moment where all of a sudden I was realizing, okay, I can, this can look different. This can be different. And I've created this idea that it all has to be the same and it has to be continuous, but it doesn't. And I know this because I've done this my whole life where I've created, I want the experience that I've been raised with and I've created it in a totally different way for other people. How can I take those lessons and move them forward into what I'm doing now? And so I think that was the beginning of my healthy processing <laughs> um, transitioning yeah no and and this is the whole point of this series is nobody talks about the filling of the void these kind of not again baking cookies isn't a destructive behavior it is a deflection and a kind of like filling the void kind of behavior right and I think it's so important to share what this looks like because that sends a signal to leaders that are listening like hey are you doing these things great that's the sign that you're ready for this transition. Now let's create an awakening to how to do this in a healthy way. Let's unpack what grief looks like as you transition from the manager of the day-to-day, of fixing, of being there, of being the hero of everybody's life to literally everyone's life, kids, teachers, parents, right? Like everyone, all stakeholders, right? To being the CEO, Because grief isn't, again, it's not a one day thing. It's not, I'm going on a grief retreat and I'm going to grieve everything. And when I come back, I'm the CEO. There's so many layers to all kinds of grief. Let's talk about it. When I was journaling and creating some notes just on my thoughts of this whole process and what it's felt like and what it's looked like, I think it the best analogy that I have is it's like going through a breakup where Mm -hmm. you've had this relationship that was amazing and was wonderful. And then you reach this point where it was no longer serving either of you. And so you, you go through this breakup where what you knew and what you believed was true or was going to be forever no longer is. And there's this pain that goes with it. There is the shame that goes with it. And then all of a sudden there's this, after you've processed a little bit of that, then you start seeing, okay, what are the things from that relationship that I really loved and that I want to carry forward into future relationships? And what are the things that did not serve me well that I thought were going to, but absolutely were not a good fit? And I think that's a good analogy for what this is like, where you, I sat back and I looked at, and I really dove into what are the parts of my job that I know God put me on this earth to do? And what are the parts that I got sucked into because I didn't have the resources or the (laughs) materials or the manpower to be able to do it? And I'm a very capable person. So I did all the things. And now all of a sudden I don't have to. So what what can I give myself permission to let go of? One of the things that you wrote that I want to loop into is you shared how often the problem resolve itself if I leave it alone. And then you wrote, you know, that's an energy suck. So I want to talk about the counter side to that, where, you know, on a lot of podcast episodes here and, and what I talk about a lot is like, don't let the problem just sit there because it usually gets worse and you need to lean into the difficult conversation. So I want to talk about the ebb and flow of this for a moment. Like, how do you practice discernment of when is this, ooh, I just need to let this go because this is an energy suck versus this is, I got to step up. I got to lean into this difficult conversation. I think that discernment has been learned over a lot of failures. A lot of walking into conversations that afterwards, and I, I sit back and I go, there, there's a, a form of regret that I think shows up where I think, hmm, okay, how did I handle that situation? Did they have the tools they needed 
to be able to show up? Did I swoop in there trying to be a superhero to fix this problem? Or did um, did I grow from the situation or did my team grow from the situation? And I think really stopping to ask myself, what is the end goal for the situation? Is it for my skills to improve? And what skills are we talking about? Is it problem solving? Because I've got great problem solving skills. Is it coaching skills? Well, those are great. And I always want to learn those. But if it's coaching skills, then I need to make sure that I am allowing my team, that I'm actually showing up as a coach in that situation, not a problem solver for them, but as a coach. And so I think that's become my big discernment on have I prepared them? Do they have the skills? If they do, then I put it back on my team and allow them to walk through it. If they don't, what skills do I need to grow in them so that this is a situation that they can solve on their own? Now, as the owner of a business, you're always going to have things that absolutely you need to be involved in, you need to handle, you need to support your team. But those are actually a lot fewer and less far between than I thought. And we ever give credit for. Uh, uh, yes. For sure. And I think what's really interesting, you know, you talk about how to really develop the practice of discernment, it comes through a lot of failure. And, you know, at the summit, one of the six skills we're going to be talking about is discernment and how do we build that within ourselves and then build that within the team. And this is the part that I know many people are not going to want to hear. It comes from failure. You have to close feedback loops. And more than anything, like this whole series is really just understanding there is no 12-step plan of follow these steps and this will create X for you. And people want so much security and seek control and security as the masters of everything, as like like the end-all be-all that we've forgotten that truly it's the journey and who we become in the process of building whatever it is that we're building. and. This takes so much time to give ourselves space and permission to lean into, to not need certainty at every single moment and need control at every single moment. Well, and I think that on top of that, as leaders, we we want to be perfect. We don't want to screw up. We want that you know, people to see, oh, absolutely, they're they're on top of their game and they're the head of the company, so they must be the best of the best. And that being able to sit back and own up, gosh, I didn't handle this the way I wanted to, or I really should have let you handle that situation, or I jumped to conclusions, whatever it may be, being able to own those conversations and be vulnerable in those moments, um, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, but it also makes a heck of a stronger team. And that's what I found is that when I'm more willing to be transparent about those moments that I've failed and my team sees that I fail, you know, just as often, if not more (laughs) than they do, they're a lot more willing to be transparent and coachable to situations that they've failed in as well. I was listening to an episode on, on parenting and this person was saying how as a kid, you never wanted a perfect parent. You wanted a real parent. You wanted a parent that even after they got upset or lost their temper or whatever just came and apologized and shared their humanity with you. It wasn't, you didn't expect perfection. And yet to overcompensate for that, you're trying to be this perfect person again. That's not what your kids need. That's not what your team needs. That's not what anyone needs from you. We want to be seen. We want your best and your best in this moment is going to be different than it was yesterday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that pursuit. And, and those are the things that are a lifetime of consistently practicing. So one of the quotes that you wrote here in this little journal, uh, journal entry is transition from valuing all I can do to treasuring all that your team creates. I'll say that again. Transition from valuing all you can do to treasuring all that your team creates. Share with us a little bit more about what that means for you. There was a time when my business was really part of my identity. And so it was this representation of all I could accomplish. Sunshine was 
shows what what Sarah can do, what Chaz did, what C. But really, Sunshine hasn't been that. It's been a collective group of visions and actions and behaviors that 90% of it, 95% comes from what my team does and on a daily basis in the classroom, relationships with parents, in the community, all of that. And so I don't think I would have ever described myself as a prideful person or an arrogant person by any means. But as I've transitioned into the role of CEO, what I've had to do is is reflect a little bit on on this part of myself and chew on it and gnaw on it and really say, am I being completely honest with what sunshine is? And do I really want sunshine just to be a collection of what I can do? Because what I can do is only, you know, just a little bit. But what my team can do over years and years and years is amazing. We are changing the world one child at a time and being able to treasure and and that word is so important to me treasure what my team does I know is going to take sunshine that much farther and the biggest part of this and transitioning to this new mindset was the recognition that I was the biggest bottleneck in my company (laughs) I just was and so when I was willing to acknowledge that ask for help, seek out people that were actually better than I was in a lot of different things. I could have these big, grand, bigger, grander visions of where we could go. And not only that, I was helping other people reach their big, grand visions of where they wanted to go. This brings everything almost full circle here. You wrote your last thing, you know, my dreams are no longer being held hostage by my own abilities. What does that mean, the dreams of the company are hostage by your own abilities? So I think a great example of this is I can remember going to conference. I think I would imagine a lot of your listeners have went to different professional development um, trainings or conferences where you have a list of you know, 30 pages of things that you are like, oh my gosh, these are the best ideas. And if we just did, you know, these 30 pages, our build, our business would be, you know, it would be amazing. <laughs> and I would go to conference and I would get these ideas and then I would come back and I would try to do all the things by myself. Or maybe I would get a little wild and crazy and ask a few of my admin team, to help out with some of these ideas, but they always failed. And they always failed because I couldn't do it all by myself. And so there was this, this dream of where our company could be and these 30 pages of notes of what it could look like. And then there was one of me that just didn't have every single skill set needed to accomplish or on the flip side, maybe it wasn't even that I didn't have the skill set, but I didn't have the capacity to add that much into my life without there being some significant sacrifices to my family, to my relationships, to myself. And so by transitioning into this new role of CEO, where instead of saying, how much is this going to cost me if I have somebody else to do this. It was, what am I going to gain if this actually gets taken off of my list? And what will that look like? And what value does that add to the company? When I transitioned that, all of a sudden, my dreams weren't just dreams. They were becoming attainable. They were, there was action steps and they were adding value, which was adding profit, which is always a good thing when you're in business. And it wasn't just about me. And I think that there was, as hard as that was, there was also this huge relief. Like, it's not just me. I'm not the end all, be all for this. I get to be part of something. But at the end of the day, it's about us. And I think that was, that's been my biggest takeaway from this journey that I've went on over the last 18 months. This concept of really letting go of, wow, it's, I'm not the end all be all for everything. And the team can do this stuff and, and they have opportunity to be part of this bigger mission and vision. 
it's something that intellectually, I think everyone who's listening to this really, really wants. And it's going to take a lot of deep work. And, and hopefully this conversation provides insight and direction and some reflective questions to create what your own journey is going to look like. Because it's not going to look exactly the same as Sarah, because there is only one Sarah. There's only one Sarah um, who has this journey. And that's what's so beautiful, that every person really has the opportunity and privilege to create their own mark in the world and their own way that they're changing children's lives. So. I want to end with, you know, this episode is all about ordinary moments create extraordinary results. As a result of you embracing so much of this hard work, internal hard work, right? Not hustling hard work, the internal mental hard work. What are some of those beautiful ordinary moments that you get to enjoy now, both as a mom as a, and a business owner? I absolutely love getting to walk into my center and see it functioning beautifully on its own and just getting to go in and observe and be witness to the miraculous work that these ladies and gentlemen are doing in our company. And I think that's been something that is just very humbling and also I see it as such a privilege just to get to be part of that and see where they're rising to the occasion and then some. Uh, one of my favorite things that I get to do now is I get to pick up my kids from school and then a lot of days I go home and I don't have to go back to the office. And I think that there's a lot of, especially in our industry, there's a lot of CEOs, directors, owners that have done this where we hustle our kids off to school in the morning, we go, we hustle all day, then we take our, you know, our break, our lunch break, when it's time to pick the kids up from school, and then we come back and we finish out our shift. And it's the best of both worlds, right? Because you get to bring your kids with you to work. But what I found is that that narrative has changed for me and being able to pick up my babies and go home or go to their sporting events or music events. I'm able to be present in the way that I want to. And that fills my cup just as much as anything I've ever done for my job. And so the fact that my job is allowing for me to show up as the mom and the wife that I want to be, that's made it all worthwhile. I think what's magical also, and I, I call it magical because when you develop this mindset and when you develop this skill set in five years from now, when ordinary moments are going to look differently because your kids are going to be in different season of life. And then in 10 years from now, and in 15 years from now, when you're an empty nester, you have a different capacity to grow, to change, to evolve, to consistently find joy and meaning and purpose in all seasons of life. And you're not stagnant into, but it's not like this anymore. So I can't be happy. And so you've developed this muscle that will consistently serve you at all seasons because we never just stay up here, right? Life is always this cycle. So what a gift to have given your future self, your current self, your, you know, your marriage, your relationships, your children. And it's just, it's really, it's a gift. It's a gift in those ordinary moments that create extraordinary lives. I would like to think that when I look back, you know, at the end of my life, that I can say I capitalized on the moments that mattered. And to me in this season, those are the moments after school with my babies and who knows what they'll be in the next, but yeah. I don't want to look back and say, well, I gave all the best of me to my job or to my business or to my company or to my employees. I want to capitalize on the moments that matter. What is your, I don't want to say parting advice, but maybe just reflective question or thought to think about or journal on for all those that are listening today? I have a couple. The first one is if you find yourself sitting here thinking this is too good to be true or there's no way I can afford to do this or um, you're spiraling down on all the reasons why this wouldn't work, I would challenge you to sit down and journal all of the benefits that would come from actually taking this leap. Oh, and maybe it's one thing, maybe it's just hiring another body in 
your facility or maybe, but let's sit down and, and make a list of the benefits, what that would add to your business and to your life personally. And then flip that as, are you okay paying that cost of not having those things right now? The second thing that I would tell you is if you've already done all that and you say, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I would suggest that you remove yourself from your facility for a period of time. And even if it's you start out with one afternoon a week or one day a week where you're working remotely from home in another location, whatever that looks like, to start giving yourself permission to not be there and giving your team the ability to start flexing their muscles a little bit and showing up in different ways. For me, that's what it took. It took me being gone in order to really dive into this journey. And it was a hard thing to do, but it also, it turned out to be a huge blessing. Sarah, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being honest and vulnerable and sharing your story. Anytime. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.